this is about how you suit up, how you show up. And, and to be able to do that authentically in a real way, you know, I, I didn't come to be somebody else. I've come to be myself. And myself is presented in this sort of way. Hi, I'm Brian Pearson. You are in the cave. We were born before the wind Also younger than the sun And our bonnet boat was one As we sailed into the mystic The Mystic Cave is a sanctuary for the seeker. Stories, conversations, and reflections about the soulful terrain on the far side of conventional religion. Welcome. The life of soul is rightly thought of as our inner life, but soul manifests outwardly. It's seen in the lines on our face, the movement of our body, and the way we present ourselves to the world in the clothing we wear. If we want to be integrated as soulful people, our outer manifestation congruent with our inner reality, we can do no better than to pay attention to how we dress. Eschewing fashion trends for authenticity, revealing ourselves to the world rather than hiding behind a socially sanctioned design label, we can make conscious and deliberate choices about our clothing, choices that say, this is who I am, really. I've invited Barry Foster to join me in the cave to discuss soulful haberdashery. Barry is a retired Anglican priest, a former executive archdeacon, and a snappy and soulful dresser himself. We begin our conversation with Barry quoting a few lines from the Irish poet William Yeats. My friends, have it I do wrong whenever I remake my song. They should know what issue is at stake. It is myself that I remake. And what touches me about this particular verse from Yeats is it's an expression of how the soul is always seeking to express itself in a variety of kinds of ways. And a while back you had a, a guest that was talking about uh, soul and um, our vocation. And it seems to me that uh, soul expresses itself uh, in different avenues in our life through different guises, different stages as we grow and change and mature and all of that. And I think Yeats was saying, uh, somebody who himself reinvented himself many times, he was saying that this was a part of the expression of his soul. And it confused people because quite often we look for consistency so that you're the same all of the time. And he was saying, really, it's like putting on a new suit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I have, I have a different, there's a different flavor to the expression of my soul in this situation, in these circumstances, with my understanding of myself now. So it's a very rich yeah. uh, few lines of poetry that could take us in 
um, all kinds of directions talking about that. Well, and we can think of lots of modern day artists and performers who have lived that out. Like I think of Joni Mitchell, who changed her musical style several times, leaving yeah. behind yeah. her fans. Yes. Uh, and her record sales suffered for it. Or David Bowie, who the opposite happened. Every time, every new incarnation of David Bowie, it's like he gathered a whole new set. But both of them would be just like Yeats is saying. They were constantly reinventing themselves. Mm -hmm. And for them, it came out through their, uh, through their music. But interesting, it's a great way to begin our conversation because we're talking about, of course, soulful haberdashery, yeah. <laughs> that our clothing choices uh, change with us as they should and i wonder if that isn't i wonder if that isn't kind of the definition i'm looking for to get us started because we talk about people who dress fashionably and we know mm -hmm. what that means mm -hmm. in that they're au courant like mm -hmm. this is the, mm -hmm. they they're up with whatever okay that's one way of understanding fashion and how we dress are you current um but what you and i are talking about is what does it mean to dress soulfully mm -hmm. So uh, take a stab at that just to get us started in terms of what does it mean to dress soulfully, which well, could also be fashionable. It does not, yeah, doesn't it, have to be unfashionable. It, it could be. I, th I think the um, significant thing for me is uh, dressing soulfully is about uh, a developed sense of style, about uh, your presence in the world. And, and it's related to a confidence uh, about who you are. Now, there's this great quote by um, uh, G. Bruce Boyer, who, uh, you know, has written several books about style and about mm -hmm. menswear. And he says it's, um, you know, being yourself on purpose is mm -hmm. what style is. Mm -hmm. And so knowing uh, those things that reflect who you are, the kinds of garments, materials, patterns, textures, all of the things that go into uh, making yeah. choices that we do actually are expressions of of who you are in some kind of way that you yourself understand. The rest of the world might not. They might just say, "Oh, well, he likes tweed jackets or whatever it is." But but for you, it's a, it's an expression of something deeper, and it um, has uh, an awareness of your own aesthetic values in it. Yeah. So for me, the soulful piece is about developing a sense of style. And, and what you put on uh, just feels like you, yeah, you know, yeah. and, and you walk out into the world not trying to uh, garner attention for yourself because as, as lots of times is associated with the old Quran fashion uh, trends, yeah. but you're, you're really uh, expressing yourself. And you've heard me say before that, you know, I don't sing, dance, play the piano, paint, sculpt. <laughs> A lot of those things that we associate with the arts, but I do body art. Yes, you which, do. Which for me is about how I um, bring together uh, fabric, texture, color, pattern yeah. to say something. And, and so for me, yeah. uh, and, and not to make a, a statement, but it's expressive. And, and, I, and I think at its best when we're looking at uh, clothing, haberdashery, and so on, it's uh, expressive of something yeah. that's more than what you see on the surface. Well, I, I want to come back and unpack a lot of that, because that's all the stuff that I hoped we would talk about mm, today. Mm. But, but we might actually begin closer to home in terms of, as you say, um, like clothing has become your medium. But that 
I would think that's something you may have learned along the way. But tell me about your childhood and about your past where this became clear that you really like either looking yeah. good or you like the quality of fabrics. There yeah. was something yeah. in, in yeah. your past that set you up for this. Uh, I have early childhood remembrances, like from three, four, five years of age. And uh, my parents were both uh, people of style. Uh, they they had um, exquisite wardrobes, uh, and they they always bought the best that they could afford, uh, without you know putting crimps on other family uh, necessities. You still ate. In, in other words, we didn't eat Monday, <laughs> Wednesday, and Friday so that they could afford their their wardrobes. Uh, and and both of them just had very good taste, and um, you know they they bought quality garments, and and of course this is the mid nineteen fifties to the late nineteen fifties where, you know, people dressed up for everything, yeah, uh, you yeah. know, and e even to go do grocery shopping or something, you wouldn't just go out like I would now in jeans and a sweatshirt or something yeah, like yeah. that. There was a kind of different standard. And um, so, that, so they had this uh, very good taste. Now, they didn't explicitly try to impart that, but, you know, uh, when we were small children, for instance, mom would lay out for us, my brother and I, uh, choices to wear for the day. Well, uh, not surprisingly, things were coordinated. Yes. Colors yeah. uh, worked, uh, appropriate patterns seasonally, yeah. so that in the in the the winter we were wearing uh, corduroy and flannel pants and sweaters and things like that. Summer was much lighter. All of that. So uh, that I think instilled in me something about you know this this is kind of neat somehow you know. And yeah. I didn't have a language to express it, but I remember uh, when we would go to shop. For, uh, because new clothes were needed or something like that. To me, this was a very exciting venture. Lots of kids say, oh, you know, yeah, like yeah. anything else, please don't yes. take me shopping. <laughs> but I loved it. Yeah. And, and when I got into school, the annual trek to put together your wardrobe for the fall, because school was starting stuff. I mean, for me, this was just a banner occasion. And, wow. and, fr and from the choices that I could see that they make, I began to learn about things like fabrics and and colors yeah. and patterns and what worked and and why why you wouldn't wear this shirt with an argyle sweater because it's too busy you know that kind of thing um well you know one of the soulful things learnings uh, related to how we dress is when we dress wrong hmm. and know it when when i was uh, the summer i turned 16 my family moved from montreal to toronto and um and I think it may have been kind of a consolation prize that they felt. Well, Brian, my, my dad worked for the Hudson's Bay Company. Mm -hmm. so, uh, so I went downtown, I joined him, uh, and he was going to get me a new set of clothes for my new, <laughs> for my new school. 16 years old. Uh, I, until then, you know, whatever, golf shirts, whatever, yeah, you know, yeah. you just wore whatever you wore. But, and Montreal was highly alert mm -hmm. to mm -hmm. the fashion trends of the late 1960s. So... I ended up buying a it was a pair of, of um, purple wide whale corduroy pants, mm -hmm. a red paisley shirt, yeah. and a two inch wide belt. Yeah, yeah. And then because and my dad said, "Now do you need shoes?" No, no, I didn't need shoes because earlier in the summer I'd been out to visit relatives in in Calgary and I'd bought myself a pair of cowboy boots. Mm -hmm. So I I showed up the new kid in my new Toronto school wearing this outfit mm -hmm. and the, and the Paisley shirt had one of those really high collars, yeah. like, you know, two yeah. inches high. 
I mean, I look like a clown, right? And But there's a part of me that thought, this is what I'm supposed to wear mm. to make an impression. Well, it made an impression. <laughs> the next day, it was back to jeans and whatever, just yeah. because it was so yeah. over the top. And I had no idea. Yeah. Like, given the choice yeah. of yeah. being able to dress however I wanted to dress, I dressed like a clown mm. and felt <laughs> so embarrassed and self-conscious afterwards. So sometimes we don't know what our haberdashery, our personal sartorial mm. choices would mm. be until we get it terribly, terribly wrong. If you, if you had known that those uh, particular clothes had come from Carnaby Street in London and was part of a whole movement called the, the Mod uh, Movement. Yeah. And I remember uh, an aunt of mine that lived in San Francisco, and, and she was, had, was always single, and she had decided after the Second World War that she wanted to live and work in several major cities in the world. So she did London, New York, and she ended up in San Francisco, where she mm -hmm. spent the majority of her life. And uh, she was a, a conduit for me uh, as a you know 11, 12-year-old kid for understanding what was happening in in the world of fashion because she was interested yeah, in it too. Yeah. So I remember in, in grade seven being likewise attired <laughs> on the on the on the first day I had I had these bright blue uh, pants with uh, and they and they kind of had a soft finish to them. They ha they had a little bit of a, a flare in them uh, the same, the two inch wide belt, the high collared shirt, which was polka dots. And like, my, my, it just makes my, you shudder. Well, my, bro my brother, who was a much more conservative dresser, you know, and wore nice alpaca sweaters, button down collar shirts, and you know, that kind of Brooks yeah, Brothers yeah. look, you know. Yeah. He said to me when I was heading up, he said, You look like a clown. <laughs> but, I, but I thought, you know, I'm at the height of fashion. And uh, at the time, I really wanted to get these bright yellow pants. Uh, which, which, which I guess fortunately the store was out of my size, and so I ended up choosing these blue, bright blue yeah, ones, yeah. <laughs> which was a little bit safer. But for but for the a good chunk of grade seven, that was kind of the attire. And then, you know, I sort of started to say, well, this needs to tone down a little bit because I'm the only kid walking around that looks like this, looking like so a clown. It might be Carnaby Street. But in Calgary, it didn't quite fit. But the, these are, I mean, if, we, if we're inclined to, to see them this way, these are soulful lessons. Mm -hmm. But, well, that's not me. Mm -hmm. so, so, you know what it makes me think? I didn't know we were going to talk about this. But it makes me think of wearing the clerical collar for almost 40 years yes. for me. And there wasn't a single time I put on the collar... I tap, put the little tab, mm -hmm. you know, and, and put on my black shirt because I wasn't a colored clergy shirt kind of guy no. with my black suit. There wasn't a single time I put that on and it felt like me. Mm. Now, that should have told me something. I loved the work that I did as mm -hmm. a parish priest, mm -hmm. but the uniform, mm -hmm. well, and isn't this true? Uniforms, the purpose of uniforms is always to downplay the personal statement. It's like, we don't care who you, in the, in the military, they don't say, now, would you like, would you prefer a blue jacket or a green jacket? Yeah. They don't care. No. This is the uniform, because yeah. we don't care what's yeah. inside you. Yeah. We care. So there's something about the choices that we sometimes are forced to make, especially for our job in the case of, of uniforms, which is almost anti-soul, yeah. because they, it, this is an organization that one way or another doesn't want your deepest self. They want your role, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I think there's that tension that we have between the personal and the collective. 
And and like you, I didn't like colored uh, clergy shirts. When I wore one, which wasn't often, but when I did, it was black or dark gray, you know. And I used to uh, choose occasions. If I was uh, conducting a funeral or something like that, yes, I wore a clerical collar. Uh, frequently did not on Sundays, um, you know, because you've got an album on and all that kind of stuff. And I, over, over, I, I mean, I did have a period of years early in my ministry when you're just kind of, growing into your shoes, as it were, where I wore a clerical collar lots yeah. because it was the expectation. Yeah, you know? me too. Uh, and, and, you know, uh, people expected to see the first parish that I worked in, people expected you to, uh, uh, to address that way. But after a while, I kind of had the same sense that this, it doesn't really <laughs> fit <laughs> uh, for me. You know, special occasions, sure. Uh, and, and, then, and then you're addressing something else there. But I was far more comfortable just wearing uh, a jacket and tie or a shirt and sweater or, you know, that kind of thing that, yeah. that was more like how other people attired themselves yes. in yeah. the professional world or, you know, in other uh, kinds of work settings. So that felt more yeah. real for me. Well, okay, we have to talk about the matter of the tie, the yeah. necktie. Yeah. I was very disappointed uh, when I moved to Calgary out to the West to realize nobody wore a tie. I mean, mm -hmm. they, I, to some extent they did in the, in the corporate world, but even then no. you saw more and more people. Not, because that was my salvation from in my early years in my ministry, I wore the collar faithfully, mm -hmm. like whenever I did church work. Mm -hmm. um, and actually right to the end, I always wore it when I went to, uh, to hospital visits mm -hmm. or times when you want mm -hmm. the role to yes. precede you in, yes. in a way. But when I was doing my parish ministry back in Ontario and starting to lose the collar, for what? I thought, you know, Jerry Garcia has this whole great line of ties you could wear with jeans. You could yeah. wear jeans to work yeah. and you could wear this this kind of smoking tie that, so that it dresses it up, mm -hmm. but it still allowed a certain informality. And when I made that choice away from the cl clerical collar, to the shirt and tie. It could even be a denim shirt, a tie, mm -hmm. um, and sometimes jeans, and often a jacket to still mm -hmm. naked, like mm -hmm. a sports jacket. Um, then there was something about, uh, this is me yeah. in the in the job. I'm respecting the job, mm -hmm. but this is me in mm -hmm. the job. This is mm -hmm. what I look like. And mm -hmm. it went, I would never have known then it was a soulful decision, but I think that's exactly what it was. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It was an expression of something that was deeper within that needed to come out. Yeah. Yeah. And so, so. I would say, you know, ties are soulful people. Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> bring back ties. I, I miss them. I love ties. And I mean, I, I have a box uh, at home. I haven't had a tie on now since I've been retired, but uh, I must, I must have still like 50 or 60 ties, beautiful yeah. uh, ties. Yeah. And in themselves, they're little works of art. Yes. You know, and when, and when coordinated properly, with the shirt, the jacket, or the suit, or whatever, is, you know... Uh, the tie could bring it all together. Exactly, and, yeah. and frequently does. And I had the same experience as you, uh, moving out to the West Coast for a few years to work, and went out there naively with this, you know, professional wardrobe that I'd had in Calgary. So I took with me, I don't know, eight or nine suits, <laughs> sports jackets, uh, you know, summer edition, fall, yeah. winter edition, all that kind of stuff. And, and the first day I arrived at, at work at the uh, Synod office in Victoria, discovered that nobody dresses like this. You know, I, like I came in with a suit and tie on and all that sort of stuff, which is what I was used to doing. Yeah. And it was, a, it was a real come down. So for the years that I worked there, most of the time, 
I dressed by my standard very casually and, mm. and enjoyed actually when there was an opportunity, uh, a lunch or something like that, where you could step it up a little bit and, you know, and, and dress up. Because to me, that was a more um, significant way of uh, according my understanding of the importance of, of the work that I did. So, yeah. so there were times when you could, you know, do jeans and a t-shirt and nobody cared. Uh, and especially if we were on in the office on Friday and it was closed to the public and you know, whatever, it didn't, it didn't matter. But there are times when, uh, you're engaged with, um, uh, the public in different ways where what you have on says something yeah. about the significance of what yes. you're there to do. Yes. And I always felt that in, uh, in my role, uh, and, and it seemed diminished on the West Coast somehow, like we're, we're, we're all just, you know, kind of fun and games. <laughs> it's all weekend wear. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's right. Now, but there was once, there was once where, because you were known as, as a good dresser and, mm -hmm. and, and you often, I mean, just by your haberdashery would shame everyone else in the room when we'd have a, a church meeting of some mm -hmm. kind, because mm -hmm. you were thoughtfully and intentionally mm -hmm. uh, turned out. But then there was there was a, a phase you went through. I remember how shocking it was, where you started going to work, showing up at work as the executive archdeacon of the diocese, in rock and roll t-shirts and ripped jeans. Yeah. And it 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 was because you're an intentional dresser. Mm -hmm. It was like a sign. Mm -hmm. It was like putting something on. Say a little bit about about that. I, I call this my Serpico face, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Um, and what what was going on was um, the the bishop of the day, who never met a detail he didn't like, uh, you know, wanted to micromanage the diocese, um, and he simply had not had a lot of experience in senior ecclesiastical management and and working with a team of people and so on so increasingly he was doing my work um but without any kind of consultation he was just taking it over so i got to the point of saying well you know i i guess if that's the view that uh, maybe i don't count so much um i'm going to express that and how I, and how I turn up for things. Yeah, what the yeah. hell? Yeah. Now, if you know, if we were uh, going out for lunch or something like that, okay, you know, I would uh, step things up a little bit better. But but oftentimes around the office and, and at other gatherings with clergy, I was turned out that way, and I was saying something. I yeah. I was I was on the one hand expressing some displeasure because I had been discounted and my work had been discounted, um, and. In uh, a few years uh, down the road, when that began to improve, so too then did my attire. Mm -hmm. It yeah. you know, started to revert back uh, a little bit more to what I was uh, used to wearing. And in fact, I remember one of our colleagues saying to me one day, when I, I had come to an executive committee meeting or something, and I was you know, in a jacket and tie and stuff, and they said, you're back. But <laughs> <laughs> well, that is so, how you were known. Yeah. So one way of understanding the soulfulness of how we clothe ourselves is, of course, going back to Carl Jung mm -hmm. and what he would say about our personas. And I want to explore this uh, a little bit because in my understanding of Jung, he would say there, there are a lot, we have lots of ways of presenting ourselves to the world. The problem is when they're unconscious. So it could be, I want to present to the world um, a face that I'm familiar with uh, from somebody else. It could be that I was parented by a very angry father. Mm 
And so I find myself being a very angry father. It's, it's not my face, mm -hmm. but I've adopted this persona and I'm unconscious about it. And the moment I become conscious about it, I can make other choices. So partly what it means for Jung, for us to be um, uh, uh, individuated, becoming the individuals that we are made to be, is being aware of our personas and then being able to manage them. That is, what's mm -hmm. just what you were saying about what's appropriate to this setting. Mm -hmm. We're going out for a lunch today and it's kind of an executive gathering, so I'm mm -hmm. gonna wear a suit and tie. I'm gonna mm -hmm. look like I'm an executive. But um, now I'm going out to meet some people for coffee on a Saturday morning. Well, that's, that's different. Mm -hmm. And I wondered the extent to which our, cl our, our clothing choices uh, can be tools for expressing all the different personas that mm -hmm. we have. Because if we're conscious of it, then it's, we're not being blindsided by trying to act like someone else. We are actually intentionally saying, this part of me deserves to be out today. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? It makes absolute sense. And I, and I think the key is um, being conscious you know, uh, and and of course, as we know, lots of people are not conscious of the yeah. various ways they present themselves to the world. Yeah. But to be conscious of that uh, means that you can express yourself. And so, um, I continue to think about um, uh, dressing, clothing, all of that kind of stuff as an expressive art. And you can be conscious of how you want to express yourself in in given situations. Yeah. And I and I think that that makes uh, us more congruent. Yeah. When, when we're in that. So like, so one of the things that I do um, for Christmas time at our house is I put on my velvet um, um, blazer. I had one made many it, years is ago. Is it red? No. <laughs> it's, a, it's a beautiful midnight blue. Huh. And, and uh, I'll get a little sidebar on that. I, I was uh, at a, a movie with uh, our son Eli, and one of the characters in the movie came to this formal occasion with a midnight blue velvet jacket, which I already had, but with these uh, terrific uh, tartan pants uh, to go with it. And it was a black watch tartan and, and it looked beautiful, white shirt, bow tie. So when the movie was done, I called the my sales associate at Harry Rosen's and I said, can you look in your fabric bunches and see if you've got any black watch fabric? I want to get a pair of pants made to go with. Well, sure enough, they had some. <laughs> I went down and got them made. So I, I used to wear that combination quite a bit for special occasions. So even now, I wear the jacket, the velvet jacket, like on Christmas Day or something, because it's, it's an expression of uh, a conscious understanding of the significance of the occasion yes. and wanting to make it celebratory. Now I could stay in my pajamas all day and that would be okay too as far as the family's concerned. But for me, it's yeah. a way of saying, you know, something about the significance of the occasion. So I think likewise um, in all kinds of other venues. So yeah, coffee Saturday morning, that requires for me a, a certain kind of look. So I might turn up in a something that's a little bit more streetwear, uh, you know, uh, jeans and a, a sweater and a boots or something. And, and in another situation, it's going to be something else. And to go back to Yates, it's kind of recognizing yeah. that uh, inside me, there are many manifestations right. of me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and they, they don't all come out at one time. That would be overpowering. It would be too much. But it can come out in... Uh, um, you know, appropriate uh, pieces in a wide variety of situations. And yeah. you yourself feel that this is congruent with who you are. And you understand that in these circumstances, like I'm not being phony with 
this kind of uh, uh, an expression in this situation, you realize that's a part of who I am. Yeah. You know, but not every situation gets all of it. Yeah, but that's the know. part that needs to come out now. Yeah. The other day, I went to uh, a men's store because I had to have a, a, a jacket uh, take it in. And um, I wasn't going to buy anything. Mm-hmm. But it was still important for me to show up to the store looking like I deserve to be there. Yeah. Now, that's not because I'm intimidated by these people. and It's because I want to be taken seriously. Yeah. And so when I go to have my jacket taken in, I like I yeah. changed what I was wearing that day yeah. so that when I walked in the store, they wouldn't yeah. think, what's he doing here? Yeah. Now, I can't do anything about the messiness of my hair. But that's but expressive I, <laughs> of something else. That's expressive <laughs> of something else. So, so it, it's in a way, it can be utilitarian. It's yeah. what's required this day. What do I want from this encounter? And how does how I show up uh, help to ensure I get what I want. I mean, it can be utilitarian in that way. Well, and I th- and I think in that particular case, it's also uh, respecting the environment that you're going into, yeah. and and who it is that's going to be serving you uh, yeah. in that situation. So it's a way of, you know, respecting that uh, kind of process. And I I know from um, uh, the years that I worked part time in a menswear store, which I, I enjoyed enormously. Uh, you know, we used to think differently about the people who came in uh, wearing, let's say, a kind of slovenly attire versus people who were dressed appropriate to the circumstances. Yeah. And it's not that you wouldn't help uh, folk who, who weren't appropriately dressed, but you, you thought differently about the experience. And yeah. so I always thought you know, it's courtesy uh, to, to kind of come into that setting yeah. um, appropriately attired. And it, and it sh- demonstrates to whoever's going to be looking after you that you have some care about your appearance because that's one of the things that they want to serve. Right? That's right. So. That's right. Um, but it, it, none of that is at a remove from being authentic. That is, exactly. you, you, you're choosing something that it yeah. fits for you anyway. Yeah. Now, I want to go back because I've mentioned it. I want to go back and talk about the hair. Uh, cause I have, uh, this big bush of hair on top of my head. And when I was a teenager and grew it long, desperately wanting to be like the Beatles, mm. rather than it lying down and, you know, falling down on my head, it went up. And I was <laughs> like, I had this Afro. I used to even at one point in my teens, as I was starting to grow my hair, I used curl free. I would tape down the bangs so I could have bangs. Like I just became obsessed with, I wanted beetle hair and my hair doesn't do that. It's big. So through most of my uh, ministry in my adult life, I had to manage my hair (laughs) so it wouldn't draw attention to itself is essentially what I was thinking. Sometimes that meant I had it really quite short. And as I served congreg- several congregations that had a lot of people who were who worked in the corporate world, where mm. that stuff mattered in mm-hmm. terms of whether you're on the inside or outside of you mm-hmm. know of of their um, their tribe. Um, however, when I retired, mm-hmm. more and more there was a part of me th- that was thinking, but I never wanted to be a part of the corporate world myself. No. That wasn't my world. That was an accommodation so people in the corporate world would take me seriously. It wouldn't mm-hmm. discredit me just because of my appearance. So in, in the last few years, I've been letting the hair grow out, and, and it's wild. Like, sometimes it's just this enormous Brillo pad on top, of, on top of my head. But I realize what it pulls out of me when I do that is that part of my own soulful experience that is 
that of the artist. Mm -hmm. It means I'm actually now more aligning myself with what I would call a creative community of people who might have wild hair, and mm -hmm. it's okay mm -hmm. because they're artists or musicians. Mm -hmm. So it's the, the, the hair itself has been a way of tracking as I've become more soulful, more in touch with who I am when I'm home. Mm -hmm. There's now a need to display that outwardly. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Well, and it's wanting to be honest yeah. with all of the, the people that you come into contact with. So you're, again, it's not... I'm, I'm not trying to draw attention to myself. That's not the motivation. It's uh, being authentically who you are. And, and of course, as we know, you are an artist in all kinds of ways, uh, as a writer, as a musician. Um, you know, so, uh, and, and even the decor of the room we're in uh, uh, speaks of uh, an artistic um, temperament. So where, the I, where the long hair fits. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I, if I had the hair, I would be happy to grow it longer myself, <laughs> and, I'm, and I'm envious that you can do that. Um, we've been talking about the um, sartorial choices we make as an outward expression of an inward reality, which is also what, how we talk about a sacramental yes, life. Right? exactly. Yeah. I also want to explore the possibility of someone who's, who's feeling they need to make a change in their lives. There's some parts of themselves that they feel have been neglected, hidden, that they have not allowed to come out. And can fashion choices, can our sartorial choices, actually help us to claim some part of ourselves that we feel it's time to try out? I, I think so. That. Um, it would require somebody to, you know, give some thought to, well, what, what do I like the look of? What do I feel good in? What, what do I feel best in? What colors uh, do I enjoy putting on and so on? So that, you know, you have to be a little bit conscious about those things. But I, I think if you're wanting to uh, bring another dimension of yourself out into the world, that it's a very appropriate way to mm -hmm. express that, to say, you know, I'm, I'm really more of a this kind of person uh, to attire myself this way mm -hmm. and make those uh, choices uh, consciously. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, uh, it's, uh, again, a matter of fabric texture, color, and comfort. Uh, and I think this is the biggest thing uh, in developing any kind of uh, a sartorial sense is what you have on has to feel good. Yeah. You know, it has to be comfortable. Absolutely. And, and has, you know, when, you, when, you're, when you're in whatever it is, you say, yeah, this is me. This is, you know, kind of how I feel myself and so on. Yeah. So, so if, if there's uh, a growing awareness to a new dimension to yourself and we, we would pray that for anybody over the course of their life that they, they have a, an ever-expanding sense of, of who they are, that that can also be expressed outwardly in the world. Yeah. Um, again, not, not to show off, you yeah. know, like yeah. I, I'm not, you know, part of the Kardashian, Jay-Z set and all that sort of thing, but we're, you know, saying this is, this is a, a new uh, understanding of myself being expressed in this kind of way. Yeah. Well... Let's so taking that sort of as a as a template, thinking of somebody now choosing to dress consciously and deliberately um, uh, to express some part of themselves, and say that this is a new part. Let's talk about the elements of style of sartorial style that we would pay attention to. So one obviously would be color, mm -hmm. color choices. Well, I think color choices are are very important and. 
there's there's some experimentation in this obviously yeah. uh, you know over over time you b- begin to get a sense of this looks good on me and I like this I I, I like the way this looks um, but you know you you can express moods uh, in in the summertime when we have a, a kind of lighter mood about a lot of things you know and, and you want to uh, draw on colors that are a bit more like walking through a garden of flowers, you know, and you, you've got mauves and, and pinks and all that kind of stuff that you can use. Uh, fall is a little bit more of a, a, a somber time. Certain occasions are, are somber, some are, 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 are more lighthearted. Um, so it's, it's practice and, and it's being honest with yourself. And, and we've all made those choices where yeah. we think later, why, why in the world did I yeah. buy that? Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, cause it doesn't in fact look good. And I, you know, I, I don't really like it on me. So, but uh, I think that one, one develops a range uh, and I'll, I'll offer my mother as an example. She had an exquisite wardrobe, but was made up of very few colors. Hmm. So black, white, gray, and some things that were pink. Wow. Kind of a dusty rose, yeah. and she she would turn out smart outfits every day, even in her retirement. Uh, you know, she she always had on a, a smart looking outfit, but not a lot of variety in terms of colors. Yeah. Uh, she relied on patterns, so you yeah. know, black and white houndstooth and that sort of thing, checks, stripes, mm-hmm. uh, some solids. Um, so she had found. A range for herself, for her age, that looked good yeah, with her graying hair and all that sort yeah. of stuff, and that she felt confident in. She had the shoes and accessories to go with that. I mean, it, it was it was beautiful. Yeah. So I I think what we do is that we uh, experiment, and and we find a range of colors. Uh, so so like my wife likes to uh, tease me about you know the the range of color that's in my closet you know like what shade of gray would you like to put on today <laughs> yeah uh, and I do I, I like gray uh, and black and and there are all kinds of combinations that you can work with that I have other colors too but you know I I prefer uh, a range that's kind of more muted yeah. um, it's what I feel comfortable in and so my midnight blue velvet jacket uh, is a, a different kind of statement, but it's still a color that, like, it's not a wild color. It's yeah, not like I'm yeah. walking around with an extension cord hanging <laughs> off, hanging off the back of me to plug it in or anything like that. So, um, yeah. Um, fabric. I, I don't know that a lot of people really pay attention to fabric because yeah. they take it for granted. This is what's for sale, yeah. but fabric, the texture of what we wear is yeah. huge. Cause yeah. I'm aware, for instance, I am a sweater person. Yeah. I would be happy to wear sweaters all year long, yeah. even in the summertime, if yeah. I could get away with it, because yeah. there's something about the fabric and wool yeah. sweaters, not cotton sweaters. That, I mean, yeah. there's a, no, the real deal, mm-hmm. wool sweaters. Yeah. So fabric becomes a very important choice. So quite apart from, so yes, we adjust seasonally to whatever the season requires. But in terms of the soulful expression mm-hmm. of who mm-hmm. I am, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And it's the tactile experience, yes. you know, it's that, it's that sensate part of ourselves. I remember as a child feeling things and, and, and rubbing my fingers on certain fabrics and, yeah. and trying to say, now what, what kind of feeling does that give me? And so, you know, I, I too uh, like sweaters and soft uh, sweaters and not scratchy and, and so on. And so I think as, as a child, I just began to get a sense that, you know what, that's 
fabric over there, which let's say is a pair of cream color five pocket pants, like a jean or something like that. That fabric feels different than this fabric, which is a sweater. And just, you know, uh, without being able to explain having the vocabulary, but, but on a sensate level, yes, you kind of know the difference. And again, over time, you get a sense of this is what I feel comfortable in. This, yeah. this is what I kind of have the sense that I, I move easily. My, my, my body is at home in these clothes. And, and you're right, lots of people know nothing about textures. The very best thing I think that a person could do is to just walk into a store and walk around and feel fabrics yeah. and, and feel the difference. You know, what, what's the, the difference in a kind of a brocade fabric versus something that's kind of on the silkier side or something, you know, yeah. and just to develop that tactile sense and, and then to make that translation on uh, how is that on my body? How does my body feel? in that particular I just I think I think that's so important so often in the mystic cave um, conversations have come back to soulfulness being connected to our body yeah, knowledge yes yeah it's because uh, and and kind of it's an antidote to dwelling too much up in our heads where everything's up here everything is uh, an idea but soulfulness all puts us back into our bodies which means it matters not just mm. what we look like but mm. what the, mm-hmm. the feel is of whatever, however we clothe ourselves, mm-hmm. that that too is, is connecting us uh, with our bodies. Sure. So I, I can imagine some people uh, listening and thinking, so do you have to have a lot of money to be soulful? Because uh, I want to address the, the issue. The, the dressing soulfully is a matter of intention. It's not a matter of how much you spend on your clothes, right? Exactly. I, well, the best advice that I had from my parents was uh, buy the best that you can afford. Yeah. You know, so for a lot of my life, I couldn't afford uh, some of the things that I might like to have uh, purchased, but I always bought what I understood to be the, the best quality. So the, the best quality of material because it's going to last. And this is one of the things that I think is ingredient to developing a sense of style is you don't, you know, turf your wardrobe every six months or something like that, you know. Like, I I have pieces in my closet that I've had for 20, 25 years, and I still wear them, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, because they were good quality when they were were purchased. Uh, Shoes uh, is an area that lots of people don't pay enough attention to in terms of the quality. Uh, But better that you should have one pair of really good shoes or one really good jacket than a whole bunch of other stuff that, you know, uh, isn't going to last. So uh, one has to just uh, make that determination in in one's overall cost of life, uh, what you can devote to developing a wardrobe. But if you think about that being done over time, like over, over the next 20 years, I'm going to acquire some nice pieces. Uh, that I will wear and wear and wear, uh, and they and they matter to me in terms of uh, their comfort and and the expression of my sense of style and all that. Uh, then you can begin to kind of plan. Okay, well, I, I don't need to buy six suits uh, just because I'm starting a new job. Why don't you buy one really good one? Yeah. Uh, and then as time goes by, maybe you acquire another one or an, a nice jacket and pair of slacks, etc. So. Uh, good quality clothes in the long run aren't as expensive, actually, as the things that we might want to try to keep up with fashion trends, uh, which... Which are just, yeah. just throwaway. I yeah. mean, it's criminal. Yes, yes. The I things know. come up for one season yeah. and then 
boom, and people are giving them away. Yeah. So I've discovered, for instance, uh, consignment yeah. shops. Mm. Uh, th and there's one um, in Calgary, Man of Distinction, where they don't they don't take old stuff. They take mm. fairly new mm. stuff. Mm -hmm. I got this great pea coat for hundred and ten dollars. Yeah. Like, it was like, okay, I'm coming back here. It's a so steal. If, if it was a steal, and it makes it worth it to go back and just check in with them mm. often, mm -hmm. because there's always stuff coming through. The peacoat was so new, it still had stitching in the pockets, like yeah. somebody had never worn it out. Yeah. So so I think there's lots of options. That, the, that soulful dressing doesn't isn't just the purview of the rich. No. Uh, it just no. means a certain amount of intention in whatever we whatever we. And I choose. and again, I, I think that that's the critical factor is being conscious of the choice that you make, yeah. and and why you're making it. And and so for somebody for whom uh, money is no object, well, they can walk into the the best menswear stores in whatever city they live in and just buy whatever they want, right? But it isn't necessarily because it has uh, arisen from within. And, and is uh, uh, drawing some kind of connection to a deeper sense of themselves. It's just, you know, I need a new suit. There's a nice cashmere chalk stripe by Xenia. It's four grand and fine, I can buy that. You know, well, like, <laughs> but I think it's far more fun mm -hmm. and, and more rewarding to do what you're suggesting. And, and that is to go to places where you can find things that are special for you. Yeah. And, and, you know, to, to get a nice coat like the one you're talking about for 110 bucks is a fabulous deal. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's a, a good use of your resources. It helps to keep a business, um, in, in a community that is uh, meeting a need that has a, a, a service for others <clears throat> because not everybody, uh, can afford those kinds of things if they're buying it at a, like a high, high end retail store. Yeah. yeah. But you know can find it, and and then it's a kind of gem that yeah. you you sort of say when you put it on, it's not just a coat. There's more to it than that, right? It's true. Yeah, it's true. So I'm thinking of of winding up our conversation by talking about dreams of clothing. And I, yeah. And I'll tell you, the, the reason is, I used to have the class. I thought I was the only one, and then discovered no, all clergy had the same dream, where you're dreaming that. This, the service, the worship service is about to begin. Mm -hmm. You're supposed to be leading it or mm -hmm. preaching in it. And the choir is going by the, the, the vestry and you don't have your robes. Yeah. Or you don't have the right robes. Or the wrong or, color. Or the wrong color. Like, yeah. uh, and all these variations of, I'm not ready. And the service is going on without me. And it has to do with, I'm not well enough attired or I'm not appropriately attired for what I need to do. Now, we can delve into the mysteries and to the depths of the meanings of dreams like that, but it's so interesting that dream maker yeah. often uh, puts our psychic dilemmas in terms of or with the images of how we clothe ourselves. Mm -hmm. This happens so often for me. Uh, in fact, the, the, the menswear store setting or the tailor shop is a frequent uh, uh, scene for for dreams and I mean we, we can literalize and say okay well you know maybe that's processing the last time I was in a store looking for a pair of pants and I couldn't find the right color or, or like whatever <clears throat> but I th I think that the the dream maker is using the material from our lives to say other things yeah. and so when I think about the number of dreams that I've had in the tailor shop this is a place where you get suited up 
So what's it saying about suiting up for life? Yeah. Um, what are some of the adjustments that need to be made? You know, like the tailor comes out and says, oh, we need to nick the waist in just a little bit on that jacket, shorten your trousers just a little bit. And these kinds of images appear again and again and again, for me, in dreams. Yeah. Yeah. And without trying to always kind of figure them out, I just enjoy it as an experience of a setting where, yes, uh, there are adjustments I need to make to my life. There are adjustments to attitudes, uh, you know, quite often. Or I need to look at something in a bit of a different way. And in that setting, you know, you're introduced again to, to different garments, to different materials, to different colors. Yeah. What am I being invited to consider differently in my life by yeah. seeing this array? Yeah. Uh, and like you, I've had those dreams of being in a liturgical setting and come out and I've got a white stole on, but it's supposed to be red. <laughs> you know? Well, well, uh, yes, of course, we used to have anxieties maybe in our early ministries about making those kinds of mistakes. But on the other hand, in, in the, the dream setting, uh, what's being said uh, about what we need to attend to in terms of our own uh, developmental stuff. And our preparedness or yeah. what, what do we yeah. need to put on to yeah. help us in this next phase of our life, whatever. I mean, it's amazing the number of time, it's times clothing, but it doesn't surprise me that you would, you would see tailor shops yeah. and men's clothing stores in your dreams yeah. probably more often than I do. Yeah. I still get dreams yeah. about, uh, of, of the ecclesiastical sort mm -hmm. of robing up. Mm -hmm. And for me, I know it means like, like suiting up is what yeah. you're saying. Yeah. Showing up yeah. is really what it, to me, is yeah. what it's talking about. Yeah. Are you showing up? Well, in the conversation that you had a while back with James Hollis, he yes. said that, you know, this was kind of a mantra for him about yes. suiting up as, as a way of saying, you know, I'm getting myself ready to take life on yeah. and, and to, to move into life as somebody who's prepared to be accountable and all that kind of stuff and, and showing up as yourself as best you can in, in all the situations. So, in fact, when I heard that, uh, that was really useful for me in being able to look at those kinds of dreams in a bit of a different way. Because yeah. initially I thought, yeah, you know, this is probably just kind of processing that experience that I had actually working in a menswear store and, and whatever. But then I thought, no, this, this is about how you suit up, how you show up. And, and to be able to do that authentically in a real way, uh, in, in, a, in a manner that has you say, you know, it's for myself that I came, just as Yates said. You know, I, I didn't come to yeah. be somebody else. I've come to be myself. Yeah. And myself is presented in this sort of way. So, yeah. yeah. Well, Barry, thank you. Thanks for joining me in the cave and talking about these. I think... I think these things are important. It, yeah. On one level, I was afraid, it's just going to sound frivolous, but I think in terms of our soulful lives, nothing is frivolous. Yeah. Everything matters. Yeah. Can I tell a, a little story about myself as we, of course you can. as we come to an end? So you uh, know the uh, poet, the Irish poet, Padre Gotuma. Yeah. So he was in the uh, Diocese of British Columbia to lead a, um, an educational seminar and uh, before before it happened a couple of days before it happened he and i were at a meeting at the university of victoria with their uh, department of religious studies and Padraig had been asked to come and address uh, some of the situation that was existing in ireland and his experience with working with conflict and that kind of thing so on that particular day because it was an important occasion i wore a nice uh, mid-gray suit with a uh, a blue and white uh, st fine striped shirt, uh, a navy wool vest, 
and a tie that uh, had just a little bit of green in it, which, you know, was really smart with the, the outfit and a simple white pocket square. So anyway, Padraig and I are talking uh, with each other before uh, his session at the university begins. And then a few days later, when we're in Nanaimo for this conference, at the very beginning, when he's saying some things about himself, he said, now, I need to tell you about Barry Foster. He said, you know, we were having a conversation the other day, and he said, my God, I've never in my life seen a priest dressed as well as this guy. <laughs> now, I had, that, I had that moment. I've been waiting my whole life to hear something like this in public, where, some, where somebody recognized, you know, uh, uh, good taste and good style and all that kind of stuff. But I, I knew at another level that this re he, he was recognizing actually an expression of soulfulness. Yes. You know? And so that was very rewarding. Well, I'm very pleased to be able to share you with the listeners of the the Mystic Cave. Too bad they can't, you know, see you. You should have a website, you know, take pictures of uh, of your of how you turn out every day, and it would be you. You'd have followers, two or three, maybe. Very, <laughs> thank you. Thank you, Brian. It's been great. Thank you for joining Barry Foster and me for a consideration of soulful haberdashery. Barry has provided several helpful resources should we want to reflect more on this topic, that we might be better served were Barry to write a book of his own. I've listed those resources in the show notes. If you like what you hear on the Mystic Cave, please help others to find us by rating the show wherever you get your podcasts. This is, for me, an unpaid labor of love. My reward is when people listen. Next time, I'll be bringing you my conversation with Teresa Hanlon, a Catholic priest, a female Catholic priest, though it would probably be more accurate to say a female priest in the Catholic tradition. The Catholic Church itself will have nothing to do with her. But what she offers is no less than a rebirth of the church as a soulful, engaged, egalitarian community of Christians where the feminine has not been left out. I'm Brian Pearson. This has been The Mystic Cave. But it's too late to stop now.